Ken Krawchuk here, and welcome to Episode 5 of the Pennsylvania Project. As you know, here at the Pennsylvania Project, our vision is a better Pennsylvania. To achieve that vision, our mission is to showcase the political, cultural, and environmental challenges facing Pennsylvania and to explore their solutions. But more important than solving the problem correctly is to solve the correct problem. Why would we want to do anything else? We have another outstanding show planned for you today, and like all episodes of the Pennsylvania Project, it's divided into three parts. You, them, and me. Part one is all about you, your questions, your opinions, your solutions, your whatevers. And rather than a call-in format, we have an email-in format. So if you have something to say, you can contact us at PennsylvaniaProject.com on the web, because you are an integral part of every episode. Today, for the you part, we have a whole bunch of new questions, some reactions to earlier episodes, something about iguanas, a couple other weird things, a whole lot more. After that, part two is all about them. Each episode, we host a guest to help us showcase the political, cultural, and environmental issues facing Pennsylvania. And today, we have a political guest, Mike Bruckner. He's a longtime analyst, expert witness, appraiser, and critic of the Pennsylvania insurance industry. Should be good. After that comes part three of the Pennsylvania Project, where it's my turn, your caster, Ken Krawchuk. I'll be focusing on a particular issue that really sticks in my craw, and today's issue, primary elections. And you know, starting today with our episode five, we'll be trying something new. Each week we'll be featuring a Pennsylvania Toastmaster to narrate our live commercials and to read whatever comes in in the old mailbag. Today's narrator is distinguished Toastmaster Art Farnsworth. Art, welcome to the show. Thanks, Ken. Good to be here. That's great to have you here. So let's get right into it. Let's get right into our mailbag. Art, what do we have today? Well, Ken, we have Joe Soloski here writing in from Center County. And he has three questions to ask today. Uh-oh. Well, you know what? We can't have one person monopolizing the show. Tell you, why, don't we, why don't we break it up and put him second or third or something like that? So All right. Him first, and then somebody else second, and then him third, and somebody else fourth. Well, why don't we tackle that aforementioned iguana question? How about that? Uh, sure, why not? I'm All right, easy. here we go. Joe asks this question, Ken. How do you like that new state iguana? Laughing out loud. <laughs> Seriously, he asks, should our overpaid state legislators bother themselves with selecting a state amphibian? <laughs> do you know, I didn't know that happened. I'm counting on these people to keep me abreast of what's going on in the world. I was kind of surprised. I thought we already had one, the eastern box turtle. But, you know, when I took a look, I found out that that one had failed. And I don't know if a box turtle is considered an amphibian or not. I'm not really sure. Mm. But, yeah, I looked at it, and it's called the eastern hellbender. <laughs> and I don't know what that is. I never heard of it before. I, but I did hear it, it beat out Whirly's salamander. And wow. I don't think it's uh, Steve Whirly, our web guy. But I never heard of either one. I guess I'm not surprised because we already have, and I put a list together here. We have a state flower, a state plant, state tree, state dog, state animal. Isn't a dog an animal? A little redundant. Last time I checked. State fish, bird, insect, a beverage, steam locomotive, a state electric locomotive. I'm a train guy. I guess I can appreciate that. A state ship, a state fossil. The list goes on. You know, personally, I really don't. I really don't care. I have no issue with it. I do remember the box turtle thing because my kids were involved in that. They were actually lobbying to get a law passed. So it's good for education because kids don't learn Pennsylvania, how the government works. In fact, I go from school to school, 
and I speak there, and I always ask the same question. How many of you have read the Pennsylvania Constitution? And I find out the state insect is a cricket. <laughs> That's all you hear is crickets. And I've had teachers, dude, give me the hurry up, finish up sign, move on sign. So I'm guessing from your response, Ken, that you don't believe that our overpaid state legislators should bother themselves with selecting a state amphibian. Look at the bright side. It keeps them out of trouble. Good point. Let's move on to the next question, shall we? Sounds good. Charles Smitley V here writes in from Fayette County, asking, since we have the second highest tax in automobile fuel, I want to ask why it is so high and why the money collected isn't being used as efficiently as it could. The increase on the turnpike can also be tied into this. Well, you know, this is, this is interesting because this is now the third show in a row, I think, that somebody has raised this question, and there's a general solution, a general answer to it, and I'll just give it a, a summary. I was looking to see which one I, I answered it on, because I, I, I did answer it on an earlier show. I forget which one. Well, I guess episodes two, three, and four. Roads in Pennsylvania are paid for through the gas tax, and the Pennsylvania Constitution outlines what the gas tax can be used for. And as I flip here in my pages, I could probably always recite it from memory, Article 8, Section 11. It says that the gas tax shall be used solely for the construction, reconstruction, maintenance, and repair, and safety on the public highways and bridges, and costs and expenses incident thereto. Solely for these things. Well, that's the answer, is it's not. It goes to all kinds of other things. It goes for public transportation. It goes for SEPTA. It goes for school programs. It goes for so many funny things, it's insane. But the point is, it's not being used solely on the roads. So since we're not taking the money that's there to use for what its constitutional purposes, it's, it's no surprise that we are having problems with our, our highways. The answer is, follow the Constitution. Are you implying that it's not just school children who don't read the Constitution? <laughs> it's, yeah, so the legislators true. as well? That is true. Wow. And, you know, and that's Section A of Article 8, Section 11. Section B talks about the aviation fuel excise taxes. And that should be used solely for the purchase, construction, reconstruction, yada, 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 of air navigation and this, that, facilities. And I haven't looked at that, but I'll bet you that's not, too. Wouldn't be surprised. So the answer is, let's have our state legislators actually read the Constitution and follow it, and that way we could fix all these things that are broken. I wonder if they get a free copy when they take office. No. And, you know, I, I ran for state rep back in 94. In my first debate, I asked my Republican opponent, I said, have you read the Pennsylvania Constitution? And she said, I skimmed it. <laughs> Just like the swimming pool. Yes. Let's skim on over to Lancaster County, shall we, with Sean House. Uh, no, we're going to intersperse Joe. Oh, I'm sorry. Time for the next Joe question. Hang on, Sean. We'll get to you. Let's go back to Joe then from Center County. He asks, what's the best way to educate people about the phenomenal political benefits of the libertarian philosophy? <laughs> I'll give you a one-word answer. Gently. I know too many libertarians, they just jump in here. There are three main ways that we can break this, this the great news to the general public. Number one, avoid the negatives. Look, I've taken a pledge. I will never say anything negative about anybody. And I've, been, I've run for office, what, I guess in the last 30 years I've run nine times. And I've never said anything negative about anybody. That's the first thing. And you have to be careful with your message. You don't want to say, repeal this, repeal that, because you're going to come across as an anarchist. We're not anarchists. We believe in a limited government, not no government. No name-calling. Can't call them 
Republicrats and demagogues or whatever it may be. You can't call them statists. And the one that really gets on my nerves, sheeple. Mm. If you call a potential voter a sheeple, are they going to vote for you? I doubt it. Not at all. Ah, no. And another one I heard was the macho, the libertarian macho flash. That's where you just throw out some bland libertarian point and just don't say anything in support of it. For example, I've heard people say, repeal Social Security. It's like, wait, wait, you want grandma eating dog food? <laughs> Get government edu- out of education. What, what, you want dumb kids? No, no. Instead, what you ought to do is come at it, accentuate the positive. Count the benefits. You always want to look at the benefits of what libertarian society can bring. In other words, implement and use effective sales techniques. Yeah, that's what it comes down to. Like, for example, if you want better education for the same dollar, we want parental school choice, where parents can choose the school for their kids. And we talked about that in episode one. If you want less hassles from the police, let's reform the traffic laws, which is what most people, the most interactions people have with the police comes back to. Mm -hmm. And we talked about that a lot in episode two. If you want fewer deaths and safer neighborhoods, then you should defend the right to keep and bear arms. And we talked about that at length in episode three. And if you want to save babies while preserving a woman's right to choose, then you should be looking at prenatal adoption, a minor change to the adoption laws to end the abortion debate. And we talked about that at length in episode four. So these are all positive benefits. Oh, dramatically fewer opioid deaths. We should end the drug war, just like Portugal's done. I'm going to be doing a whole show about that sometime in the future. Focus on the benefits, because these are benefits we're not getting now. Fewer opioid deaths, no abortion arguments, safer neighborhoods, less hassles from the police, better education for the same education dollar. When accentuate these positives, the benefits that people are going to get from it. But the third one, and the most important, in my opinion, is you have to learn how to communicate that position. My favorite line for this about libertarianism, I tell people that you have the right to live your life your way without interference, provided only that you respect the rights and property of others. Mm-hmm. That's it. It's the golden rule on a political level. Your life, your way. You know, it's funny. I'll be at an event and I'll ask people, I'll say, how many of you believe you have the right to live your own life your way as long as you respect others? Every hand in the room will go up and I'll say, hey, we're all libertarian. <laughs> And I've had some teachers look daggers at me when I did that, believe me. (laughs) But that's one thing that you really need to do is you have to present it in a simple, easily acceptable way. Another thing you have to do is listen. Most people don't listen. You want to listen to their issues. Find out what it is, what's their hot button, what do they care about. And then what I would use is something called the Ransberger pivot. You agree with them. So, yes, we should be educating our kids better. I agree, should be the first words out of your mouth. Mm -hmm. We need better education, and it's too important to be left in the hands of politicians. Difficult to argue with. Yes, we need safer streets. I agree. So that's why if a woman resists with a handgun, she's half as likely to be seriously injured. That's why I support the right to keep and bear arms. You're right. We do have to curb the drug addiction. That's why we need to end this war on drugs like Portugal has done and reduce opioid deaths by 85%. So you have to you agree with the person, but agree with them for a different reason and give them an idea of what they should be looking at. But the absolute best way to learn how to communicate is to join Toastmasters. <laughs> and you knew that was coming. Toastmasters are one of our sponsors. You'll be hearing their commercial a little bit later on. Their mission is to provide a supportive environment for learning public speaking and leadership skills. 
And one unexpected gift that I received from them was I learned diplomacy. And I'm a kid who grew up in a row home in North Philadelphia, and the last thing that I had when I grew up was diplomacy. So Toastmasters, learn how to deliver your message because you can have the best message on the planet, but it's useless if you cannot communicate it. That's true. And there are certainly other ways of, of presenting libertarianism, and if anybody has one, drop us a line. We are at PennsylvaniaProject.com, and let us know what you're thinking. Sounds great. What else we got? How's our time look? Yep. We're at about 13, so let's go on to Sean in Lancaster County. So happy to hear you on WWDB, Ken. This is where Irv Homer turned me on to the Libertarian Party when Andre Maru and Nancy Lord were running for president and vice president. And I have to just jump in and say this is how I got into Libertarianism as well, listening to Irv Homer on WWDB. And I. Back in the grand FM days, I should add. So he asks here, how does it feel? What are the plans to get more folks involved with America's third largest political movement based on nonviolence? How does it feel, Ken? You know, I got to ask that question a lot because this is only episode five. We've only been doing this now for a little over a month, and I'm still excited about it. It feels like – well, let me back up. So I was telling my wife, I said – I was just shaking my head. I spent weeks shaking my head because I just could not believe what was going on here. And I finally identified the emotion. It's surprise. It's surprise like on Christmas morning when you – not only do you get a, an unexpected gift – but it's exactly what you're always looking for. Mm-hmm. And what am I going to do with it? How is this going to make a libertarian society come about more quickly? Well, I see myself as stepping into some very, very, very large shoes. True. Irv Homer's. I've been a guest on Irv's show several times, and you know, you got to just love Irv Homer. And he's been on WWDB. So here I am yeah. on WWDB talking libertarianism. How about so, it? So, Sean, this is how we're doing it. We are... I'm going to try to fill some very, very big shoes. Maybe I'll wear 20 pairs of socks to make my feet actually fit them in a, in a nice way. So you're extending the legacy in a way of Irv, Uncle Irv Homer. I'm going to attempt yeah. to extend You're right. The they're, they're mighty big shoes to fill. Of Uncle Irv. Evil yeah. Irv. Rest in peace. Amen. Great guy. And he always used to ask, have you looked at your paycheck lately? <laughs> I love that one. I said, Uncle Irv, you got to make that a bumper sticker. Uh-huh. All right, we're running up against the clock, but let's get the last one in from Joe if we have time here. At, no, do you, we? Yeah, I would say no. Okay. Because I'm – That's well, you can ask his question. Pardon? You go ahead and ask his question. All right. And I'll say why I'm not going to answer it. Okay. We focused on the iguana one. Maybe we should have gone to the other one first. Let's talk number three here. At the local level, Ken, what do you think are the Libertarians' election success prospects in both 2019 and 2020? Well, it's another one I could sum up with a single word. Excellent. We are America's third largest party, and we continue to grow. And I will get into the details of that question. That will be our first up question for Joe from our episode six, which will be coming up next week. But right now, we have to take a break for some information. I'll do it for the you portion of the show. And if you would like to get in, get your questions, comments, whatever, responding to what I'm saying, stop by our website, PennsylvaniaProject.com. But we'll be right back after this information. Did you hear the latest news? Almost two-thirds of all federal spending now goes to pay for the welfare state. More than $2.2 trillion, which just about equals federal income. Do you realize what that means? Virtually all tax revenue is now being consumed by the welfare state. But how do we rein in that runaway spending before it destroys America? The answer? The separation of society and state. That's the premise of the new novel, Atlas Snubbed. 
an unsanctioned parody sequel to Ayn Rand's Atlas Shrugged. Atlas Snubbed presents a workable alternative to the welfare state as we know it. Atlas Snubbed expertly extends Rand's epic story of a looter's world snubbed by the men of the mind, bringing to life a crumbling post-apocalyptic world where no one need ask who is John Galt, because now they know. Atlas Snubbed, available at all online bookstores or through atlassnubbed.com. Read it today before it's too late. Hey, Ken Krawchuk here, caster for the Pennsylvania Project. You know, it's easy to find a high-paying job. Well, at least for some people it is. Employers are begging for competent leaders who know how to communicate effectively. But do those words describe you? Competent leader communicates effectively? If not, or even if they do, you may want to consider joining Toastmasters. The mission of Toastmasters is to provide a supportive environment for learning communication and leadership skills. But does it really work? Hey, look at me. I joined Toastmasters and now I got my own radio show. So turn your life around like I have. Visit Toastmasters.org and contact the club nearest you. Visitors are always welcome and be sure to mention my name. The future is anxiously awaiting competent leaders who know how to communicate effectively. You can be that leader. It all starts at Toastmasters.org. Hey, Ken Krawchuk here, and welcome to the showcase portion of Episode 5 of the Pennsylvania Project. My guest today is Mike Bruckner. He's a longtime analyst and critic of the Pennsylvania insurance industry. He's an expert witness. He's an appraiser and 15 or 20 other things, which I learned in an earlier episode that if I go through everybody's CV that we're going to be here for a half an hour. Good afternoon, Ken. How welcome are you? to the show. I'm doing Thanks. great, Mike. Thanks for coming here. You know, it's funny, when Mike and I were talking earlier, we are like brothers separated at birth. We're just about the same age. We're, we both have a, an insurance background, because I had an insurance agent license for, what, over 10 years. I just let it lapse two years ago, two and a half years ago. I don't need it anymore. And you're a local guy. I went to Cardinal Doherty. You know people went to Doherty. We have a lot of friends in common. Just amazing. This fits what my mother would always say. No matter where you go, someone's going to know me. I'm going to find out what you did. <laughs> <laughs> it is a small world. It is. Where do we begin? Good grief. There's, there's so many things about the Pennsylvania insurance industry. So l- let me just throw out one thing to get this started. When I was doing my training, I guess it was back in 2003 when I was doing my insurance training, they had a cram course where they would just hit you with everything. They'd say something, and you have to answer them. Say it, answer, say it, answer. And that way, the next day, you go take the test, and they ask you, need answer, ask it, answer. And I spoke the truth once, and the guy yelled at me. He said, the purpose of insurance regulation is to protect, and I said, the monopoly. No, no, it's to protect the public. So now, you're a critic of the the insurance industry. Yes. Uh, Was I wrong? No, I think uh, in, in a perfect world... You're right, but unfortunately, in the corporate world, it's different. How so? Well, the corporate world is how do we earn a profit? Of course. Uh, The corporate world doesn't come out with stages of greed. You rise to your highest level, and the insurance carriers have proven that it's exactly what they want to do now. Yeah, but everybody's in business to make money. Well... Yes. Uh, 
I think the problem is is how we make the money. Uh-huh. I think it's being in business is fine, but if you do things that are morally wrong, then what do you say about that? Well, we're going to have to be careful with the using terms. I have this fluke in my head. Anytime somebody uses a relative word, it just jumps out at me, and you just used one there, morally wrong. Our guest two weeks ago on in episode three of the Pennsylvania Project was a lady who identified herself as a consensual adult sex worker. Now, a lot of people consider that morally wrong. So when you're saying that the insurance people are doing things that are morally wrong, what do you mean? Basically, what I mean is that the insured or the customer is not being treated in a fair manner. Uh, There's another relative word. I'll have to get some examples Let me give you, let me be a little more specific. Excellent. Farmers Insurance came out with a policy called the Next Gen Policy. Mm Mm-hmm. What they didn't do is they didn't tell people that they were going to reduce the homeowners from a homeowner's three, which is an all-risk policy, to a homeowner's two, which is a named peril policy. Uh Little movements of the hand that change things, and people don't know that, and the carriers know that the general public has no idea. But one of the biggest changes in the policy was that every policy written in pretty much the United States has a clause in it, and the clause is called appraisal. Mm-hmm. And the words written were pretty simple when they were first dedicated, and the words go like this. If you or we, meaning the insurance carrier, fail to agree on the amount of loss, either party may demand appraisal. Mm -hmm. You hire an appraiser to represent you, the homeowner, and you pay your appraiser. We'll hire our appraiser, and we'll pay them, and the two of them will come to your loss, and they will try to come up with a settlement. Sure. You hear commercials for insurance adjusters all the time. Now, where's the unfair part of that? Well, Sounds pretty fair to me. The settlement is binding, just like binding arbitration. It's very fair if it would have stayed like that, Ken. Okay, what changed? I'm still looking for the... Ex- what, what changed is that farmers hired a law firm and redesigned the appraisal into three and a half, almost four pages of gobbledygook. It was originally designed... It was about two paragraphs long. Uh The gist of it is the new appraisal says that even if the appraisers agree on an amount and they come up with an award. Uh I see where this is going. We're not going to honor it. Why? Because the the agreement says. Because the agreement says that we can remove all the undamaged property that the appraisers awarded. So what would be the it's sense of going to appraisal if the company can override it? Uh-huh. Now, how do they get away with this? Well, that's, that's the real problem. The real problem I'm is— I'm looking for the solution here. Yeah, the insurance department. The insurance department, people call them once in a while to make a complaint about an insurance company, but they have a lot of power. Every change in a policy has to be signed off on 
by the insurance department. Oh, I'm aware of that. You know, I, I used to work for a, in IT. I worked for a company. We put together insurance policies. We wrote a program which built insurance policies because we could only do certain things. Like you say, it's got to be approved. You know, an HO4, or I forget what all the different ledger domain was that they put into it. But it's it's so blunt that even a computer program could put it together. No AI. This is just be this is COBOL for those people who know old old languages. I'm familiar with that. Yeah. So it sounds like the insurance, Pennsylvania Insurance Commission is the ones who allow this to get by. And now how can they do that? Now they're they're a regulatory body. They get their marching orders from the law, but the law doesn't always go into all those details. Like for example, the IR code is only what two Bible-sized books, but the Internal Revenue Code, but the regulations there's like fifty or sixty Bible-sized books. So is this the same thing with the Pennsylvania Insurance Commission? It, it is. Uh, it's part and parcel of the problem. Uh, this has been going on for years. Almost 20 years ago, I spent two days up at the Capitol in Harrisburg Uh because there was a bill introduced, and the bill, which was supposed to clarify that you cannot cancel a homeowner who is attached to a vacant building. They don't have any control over who lives next door to them, but the companies were canceling the homeowner in the occupied portion basically stating, sorry, we can't insure you because the place next to you is vacant and increases your exposure. So it went to a local politician in Philadelphia who introduced a bill, and it went through the House uh, unopposed. And it went over to the Senate, and it was in the Banking and Insurance Department, and Senator Edwin Hall was the chairman at the time. Well- I'm not sure I understand what the bill did. Well, the bill was supposed to reinforce the fact that insurance companies cannot cancel a homeowner policy merely because they reside in or around abandoned buildings. Okay. Now, does that mean that also that they don't have to renew it? No, you can't cancel or not non-renew. Non-renewal. Okay. All right, I got it now. By the time it got up and it was voted on and and the bill was through the House, it didn't say that. (laughs) I've seen that with our ballot access laws. There's going to be an episode coming up about that, too, where in the middle of the night, they tripled our signature requirement. And if it wasn't for our friends at Pennsylvania Cable Network giving us a call at 6 in the morning saying, you should see what those guys did to you last night. And we reacted within 24 hours. And this was Governor Ridge at the time, and we got him to veto the bill. See, but that's what it takes. And exactly right, and that's what it took on this one because uh-huh. did you, uh, you stopped it? We yes, we we went to the paper, we went to the Enquirer at the time, and it made the news, and they did some interviews. We went back to the sponsor of the bill and asked him if this was the intention of his bill. He said absolutely not. Mm-hmm. The what they had changed is they changed it to say that they could cancel. But they, but they would find another program to put these homeowners in. Oh, no. Government's going to break your leg, and then they're going to set your leg. Yes. You don't go to the doctor who broke your leg. Exactly. And the leader of the Pennsylvania insurance lobby called me and, and told me, he says, we have a program in mind 
to put these people in if you would just back off and let this bill go through. I said, well, why don't you forward it to me so I can review it, which never happened. Of course not. Uh, it was going to be another issue like the assigned risk insurance where these poor homeowners were going to get killed with premiums. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the legislature does not follow the Constitution on this either. It says that any bill has to be considered on three separate days. And it has to have public hearings and everything like that. But it sounds like this didn't even go through your three separate days' worth of hearings. It did not. And they, they did the same thing with their pay raise, what, about 10 years ago. They passed it in the middle of the night. They had absolutely no, no public hearings on it. They didn't have the three days of consideration like they were supposed to. And, of course, a lot of them lost their, their jobs over that. A Supreme Court justice was voted out over that. I mean, Pennsylvania rose up against these people for doing that. But the funny thing was when they repealed that pay raise, they did it in the middle of the night with no three days' worth of hearings. They broke the law to pass it. They broke the law to get rid of it. It's all in the Constitution, and we don't teach it in the schools. I already, I already ranted about this one. So who did, you, who did you approach on this? This is something that people listening can appreciate because they're going to say, what do I do? What can one person do? Well, we ended up going back to the sponsor of the bill who was a committee man in Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, when he saw that how the bill was intended and how it ended up, he went to Senator Hall and wrote a letter asking that the senator let the bill die in committee. Hmm. This was December. Uh-huh. Uh, so that it would just go away because that was not the intention of his bill. Uh-huh. And I got a call when the bill did die in committee from the lobbyist who uh-huh. said, are you happy now? Like... Why would I be unhappy when the people were taken care of? <laughs> That's right. Good grief. You know, this comes back to something I always say a lot, which is we have self-government, which means if you want to see change, you've got to do it yourself. We're going to take a pause here. My guest today is Mike Bruckner, a, an insurance activist. Obviously, listen to the activism that he's been going through. And we'll be right back with him after we listen to this information. You've been a registered libertarian for years, voted for libertarians even longer, and lived by libertarian principles all your life. Now it's time to take the next step and join the Libertarian Party of Pennsylvania. Keep abreast of the march toward liberty in Pennsylvania. Take an active role in making it happen. Maybe even consider running for local political office yourself. It all starts with joining the Libertarian Party of Pennsylvania. It's easy, fast, and only $20 a year So visit LPPA.org to sign up today. That's LPPA.org. Do it today. A freer future is waiting. Are you a small business owner always looking for referrals? Do you have a streamlined approach to generating new referrals? Contact Stephen Worley to learn the fast, easy way to generate new referrals. Stephen has an all-inclusive system that will help you generate an extra 5 to 10 customers per week without spending a single dollar on ads. You won't have to create a website, have pictures taken, or write a single ad. Stephen will take the headache out of the process. Contact him at stephenworley.com. That's Stephen with a V, W-E-R-L-E-Y dot com. Are you arranging your finances in the most tax-efficient way possible? Call Freedom Financial Tax at 866-401-1090 today to find out 
At Freedom Financial Tax, we use creative tax solutions like infinite banking to make sure you're keeping as much of your hard-earned money as possible. Let Freedom Financial Tax help you out with a comprehensive tax plan. Call Freedom Financial Tax now at 866-401-1090. Thinking about getting your first tattoo? Maybe you're ready to add that to that sleeve you started or cover up that one regretful choice. Put Sam C. and his team of artists at Iron Will Tattoo Club in Glenside, Pennsylvania at the top of your list. The team at Iron Will has plenty of designs to choose from. They can create an original design or work with a design that you provide. Call 267-893-7625 today to schedule your free consultation. That's 267-8-WE-ROCK. Or visit them on Instagram at Iron Will Tattoo Club. All right, we're back. I'm Ken Krawchuk, and this is the Pennsylvania Project. I am your caster, and we're sitting here with our guest, Mike Bruckner. He is an insurance activist, an appraiser, an expert witness, longtime analyst, and it's good to have you didn't run out the door. That's good. You're still here with us. And, you know, in the first part of, the, of our talk here, we banged up against a wall, and I've run into this wall in other cases, too. Pennsylvania Insurance Commission. Now, they've taken their mandate to have, uh, I guess, honest and fair insurance. And now they've, they've got these regulations that they've put together, which are allowing them to start running rampant. You mentioned the next-gen policy that Farmers has, which has essentially eliminated the appraisal portion of the, of the settlement. You told us how we can fight legislation to change things. And there's a good story. I always like, always like to hear a story of David facing Goliath and turning out that Goliath is really the, the loser here. But when you stand up against a bureaucracy, to quote Ayn Rand, it's everyone, but it's no one. How do you come at that bureaucracy? How do you get them to change those regulations? Well, I think it starts with the understanding of how the insurance executive mind functions. When you say insurance executive, do you mean the the people in the industry or the people in Harrisburg? The people in the industry at the top of the food chain. (laughs) You know, another thing I learned in my class was the insurance company always gets theirs. That was another maxim. Well, for the longest time, we used to joke, what corporation do you know that doesn't meet their profit margin can just raise rates at the end of the year to meet the profit margin? Oh, school boards? Uh, City of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, Commonwealth, there's lots of them, but they're all government agencies. Right, they're all municipalities. Which is the problem, in my mind, with insurance, is that it's overregulated. I learned how to, one of my specialty areas was Medicare Advantage plans. You cannot breathe sideways under that. There are things you can't say, things you can't ask, things you can't do. It is so overly micromanaged. And that's the problem, is that now you've got government in there. The minute you, you do that, You've taken a human situation, a societal situation, and you've turned it into a political football. How did you kick that football? Uh, I kicked it by asking my legislator to (laughs) To rescind (laughs) the McCarran-Ferguson Act. Uh, There's a new one on me. McCarran-Ferguson? Yeah, the McCarran-Ferguson Act. Uh, There was a time when our legislatures were very close with the carrier executives— 
And the insurance company said to the legislators, listen, we know we are an interstate business. Mm -hmm. We do business across all 50 states, but we're asking you to exempt us from regulation because we're the insurance industry and you can trust us. (laughs) I'm from the government and I'm here to help. Good grief. so this is how this is working out, then. Yeah, and that was in the fifth, late 50s or early 60s, I believe. Uh-huh. So you can see how it matriculates, where it starts, and it just... So the only way to stop it is to address it head-on. And no, one person is not going to change it. But one person standing next to one person standing next mm-hmm. to one person is the way we change. Yes. And that's when we get the attention of our legislators who realize they're not going to be voted for when it comes to re-election, unless they go in and straighten up the brouhaha and at least drain the swamp somewhat, Ken. Uh-huh. You know, we've had some success by not going through the legislature, but going through the agents of the legislature. For example, they, the two old parties like to throw us off the ballot. They challenge us left and right for specious region, reasons, like if your people signed where they should have printed and printed where they should have signed, they said, oh, it's a bad signature. So the parties don't come against us for that. What they do is they're individuals within the parties who say, I'm going to I'm going to file suit here to have the libertarian kicked off the ballot. Well, what we've done several times, and it has worked, is we demonstrate in front of the home of the person who does that. We make it personal. So whoever it was who wrote that regulation, do you know who it was? Let's get his name. Let's go pay him a visit. Let's get a bunch of people out front. We'll call the ABC, NBC, CBS, C-SPAN, everybody, and say, listen, we're going to be out there because these guys are ripping off the American public. So that would be an approach that I would suggest. We're all about solutions here at, at the Pennsylvania Project. Remember? I like that solution. I think that's a great solution, calling them out. Can we identify these people? Sure. Okay. I could see this coming. And, you know, maybe we'll get this up on the, on the website. Yeah, and Art's over here. He's ready for this. We've done this before. We can get the... Cut the details up on the website. Maybe we can get our first Pennsylvania Project protest, PPP. Let's see if well, we can do that. If, if you get some press and you get some attention, mm-hmm. uh, you will get some some changes and you will get the attention of uh-huh. the people. But it is definitely the insurance department that we'd like to okay. put on the – No, that's half the problem. Once we have the attention, everybody's paying attention and saying, okay, we got a problem here. What's the solution? Do we rewrite – the insurance regulations, top to bottom, do we start from scratch where we say, you have the right to live your life your way, provide you respect to others? Do we go back to Benjamin Franklin, who I believe was the creator of insurance the first time in Philadelphia? The Philadelphia Contributionship Insurance Company was founded by Benjamin Franklin. Uh-huh. And he took them on alone, huh? Yes. <laughs> always, always starts with one person. So how do we see reform? What, what's the shape of reform for the insurance industry in Pennsylvania? I think it's through knowledge and through consumerism. Uh-huh. Uh, the companies right now are pouring into Pennsylvania to write auto insurance because they no longer have published auto insurance rates. If you go to an agent and you walk in and say, I have this vehicle and I'm the driver and I have no tickets or accidents, can you give me a price? He cannot. I, I just redid my insurance. Matter of fact, I had farmers two years ago, and I'm with somebody else now, and they, they had a much lower price. And I went back to farmers, and I said, hey, listen, this is what these guys are doing. They said, oh, we can't match that. 
So I guess I'm not following you. My own experience goes in the opposite direction. What, can you give me some, some more detail? Well, yes. Uh, when this started, and I'm going back 35, 40 years ago, when I was with Nationwide Insurance as an agent, you would come into my office, you would tell me whether you had tickets or accidents, how many children, mm -hmm. who was driving, and then I would give you a rate. Uh -huh. And that rate was firm. There was no other rate. Well, they don't have rates anymore. They have tiers, and it's all credit-based. So they have 85 different rates for you, depending on what your credit is. Sure, I, and I could understand that. You know, so, I, I've been in the industry. I know what it's all about. And if there are 85 different tiers, well, well I'm not going to cry over it. No, but you just <laughs> pun intended. You just you just took that out of the equation because it doesn't go through the insurance department anymore. Rates are not regulated. Speaking as a libertarian, I think that's a good thing. I think the market should set the rates. Just like I went to farmers and I said, listen, this is what these other people are quoting me. Can you beat that? And they said no. So now I'm not with them, and I've been, I've been very happy with the new group. Except there's this group called Explore Something, which has your driving record in it and everything like that. And they said, oh, wait a minute. We're going to raise your rates because you're not a safe driver anymore. I said, what do you mean? I haven't been convicted of a ticket in a million years. Oh, that's probably... 2002 but anyway you get the idea and they said no it's there so i had to go back and argue with these explore people who i guess they're like mib the medical information bureau they have all the information about what you're doing and they had me down there for three things that i didn't even do you know so they're there as well how would the insured or the customer know that they would only know the rate they were given maybe it was high and maybe there was things that we're not supposed – how would you know? Well, you know, I'm going to channel Irv Homer. We were talking about him earlier. When somebody asked him at an event, they said, where do you get your news? How do you know what's right? And he pointed to the side of his head. He says, this is where I get my news. And we're like, what are you talking about? He says, I investigate. If something sounds fishy, then I'm going to, well, I'm going to investigate further. I'm going to find something what the truth is. I'm going to weigh out the different pieces of it, and I'm going to come up with my own conclusion. And that is the only place that you can get your news. Just what I did with – with farmers. Yeah, again, we have self-government. You've got to do it yourself. We can't turn to big mommy government to protect us at every turn. That's how we got this insurance commission, by somebody saying, you know, we got to protect the people. No, the people have to learn how to protect themselves. Do you know, when I sign an insurance policy, I, I asked the guy, I said, give me a copy of the policy first. He says, what for? I said, I want to read it. He says, nobody reads it. I said, I do. That's what it takes. It takes the fact that you got to do it yourself. You know, we're just getting into the good stuff here, Mike. I'm sorry, but we're starting to run out of time here. This has been this has been way too much fun. There's a lot more that we could say. Do you want to get in a, a website or more information? People want to talk to you or something like that? Certainly, uh, you'd be able to get to us through PennsylvaniaProject.com. Sure, I, I think that would su suffice. I, I don't think I think they can contact me through the PennsylvaniaProject.com. That would be that would be fine. Okay. Sounds good. Well, that about wraps it up for the them portion of the show. I'd like to thank again my guest, Mike Bruckner, for appearing on The Pennsylvania Project. It has been fun. It's been unscripted, which I really like, because the goal here is to have the conversation and to pursue solutions. So we're going to pause for this information, and when we return, I'm going to rant about something that really sticks in my craw. It's that time of year, primary elections. Oops. 
The following is a commercial announcement. Hey, Art, how's it going? Eh, could be better. Why? What's the matter? I just found a great job, but I can't take it. Why not? They want me to go to a 1099 contractor. So? So what about all the taxes? Federal taxes, state taxes, this tax, that tax. I have better things to do, Ken, than figuring out the tax laws and filling out all those forms. I'm a libertarian, remember? Then you need Amendment 16. It's the damn 16th Amendment that got me into this predicament in the first place. No, 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 no. Amendment 16, the invoicing service. They'll invoice your client for the hours and expenses you report to them, and when your client pays them, they pay you, minus all required taxes. It's that easy. One call does it all. And they'll even have an accountant do your personal taxes for you on April Fool's Day. I mean, April 15th. And they take care of all the taxes, all the forms. Yep. And they can pass along certain tax breaks, too. Sounds perfect. Where do I find them? On the web, of course, at amendment16.com, with 16 spelled out. That's amendment, S-I-X-T-E-E-N dot com. One call does it all. Do you need a state inspection, emissions testing, tires, brakes, exhaust, suspension work, or routine factory scheduled maintenance? For all of your automotive service needs, visit Wallace Auto Service at 700 East Haverford Road in Bryn Mawr, Pennsylvania. Wallace Auto even has a Phillips 66 gas station where you can fill up at great low prices. Check out Wallace Auto online at wallaceautoservice.com or call them at 610-658-9000. For over 16 years, Wallace Auto Service has been proud to serve the Bryn Mawr, Haverford area. Stop in, say hello, and fill up your tank at Wallace's great low prices. That's Wallace Auto Service and Phillips 66 Gas Station at 700 East Haverford Road in Bryn Mawr, Pennsylvania. Or give them a call at 610-658-9000. Back to you, Ken. Thank you very much, Art. Hey, Ken Krawchuk here, and welcome to the me portion of Episode 5 of the Pennsylvania Project. Do you know what really sticks in my craw? Primary elections. It's that time of year right now. And they're coming up. But what are the primaries? That's where the two old parties get together and decide to choose their candidates. But you know, one of the emails that we got in through PennsylvaniaProject.com was a complaint from a libertarian named Tracy. How she can't vote in primaries. And it got me thinking, why do we have primaries at all? I mean, what problem are we solving here? Because they're only about 100 years old. They're originally created to circumvent the quote-unquote party bosses to give lesser-known candidates a chance. That's a pretty good idea for 100 years ago, but today that's not really a concern due to the Internet. Good grief. Look at me. I'm on the radio. (laughs) It's easy enough to get out there with your own podcast, whatever it may be. But they have these primary elections. And why do those of us who are not part of the two old parties, why do we have to pay for them? pay for them with our taxes. It doesn't seem fair. Almost one quarter of Pennsylvania voters aren't members of the two old parties, yet they're being forced to pay for the election of others. Of course, we libertarians, we pay our own way. There's no need to try and get around libertarian party bosses. (laughs) There's an oxymoron for you. We believe everyone should pay their own way because you have the right to live your own life your own way, provided you respect others. So when I was running for governor, part of my platform was that I was going to use the line item veto to zero out funding for the primaries. That's a power granted by the Constitution to the governor 
He can cross out any individual words, any individual sentences, anything at all. And it would take the legislature two-thirds vote to over, override the veto. Wouldn't it be cool if you zeroed out funding for the primaries? And the two old parties, they, they could pay for their own beauty contests. And you could just hear them screaming, yeah. saying, oh, you're against free elections. You're killing free elections. Well, first of all, they're not free. We're paying for them. And second of all, the thing, only thing free here is the free ride that those two old parties are getting. And I bet they're going to try and override that veto. And it's going to reveal them as just another special interest digging at the trough, trying to get their fill, squabbling over our money. Oh, I'd love to do it. Boy, I'd love to see a libertarian governor. But, you know, lately they've been trying to expand the primaries. House Bill 2448, sponsored by the Republican David Reed, the House Majority Leader. He calls it the Open Primaries Bill. Open primaries. Sounds good. Well, you think, but does it really do that? The better question is, is it the right thing to do? The answer is a flat-out no. And I can give you three good reasons why. Number one, it deliberately bars certain voters from voting in the primaries. That destroys your right to live your life your own way and allows special interests to milk the taxpayers. Because what it says, it, while it does allow independent or non-party voters to vote, that's only about 8%. What it does, it does not allow the 5% of us who are registered with other parties, like the Libertarian Party, the Green Party, the Communist Party. I'm not a communist, but I believe in free and equal elections. It would, his quote-unquote open primaries bill would close the primaries to the rest of us. Instead of calling it an open primaries bill, I call it a persecute the opposition bill. It's bad for democracy because it prevents people from voting. It's reason number one. Number two. Destroys your right to live your life your own way. Because think of it this way. Should total strangers tell you how to run your life? Of course not. It's not right. Should Ford shareholders dictate who runs General Motors? Of course not. That wouldn't be fair. Should atheists decide who could become a priest or a minister? No, of course not. They're not even members of their religion. They even deny religion completely. So if you're a member of one of the two old parties, let me ask you. Should non-members be picking your candidates? I thought that's what the November elections were for. I'm telling you, random, unaffiliated people should not have a say in any organization they're not a part of, whether it's your home, your church, or your government. So HB 2448 is bad for political organizations to run their party their own way. And the third reason is that it allows special interests to milk the taxpayers. And it's not just HB 2448. It's the entire primary election process that it supports. Think of from this point of view. Should you be forced to pay for your neighbor's lifestyle? Of course not. You may not agree with it. Right? Why should you support something you don't agree with? That's like government funding of abortions. A lot of people believe abortion is murder. Think of you're forced to pay for a murder. Think you're forced to pay for somebody who's advocating murder or the other way around, somebody who's advocating where a woman doesn't have a choice over her own life. Either way, it's the taxpayers that are the losers. Because that's what exactly what primary elections do. They force people who do not belong to a specific organization to pay for that organization's elections to the tune of roughly $20 million a year. Wow. Yeah, that's a lot of kahunas. A lot. Uh, really. We libertarians... 
we pick our own candidates. We do it in convention. We do it at our own expense. We all get together. We stay up late at night. Sometimes we have some interesting smoke-filled rooms. But we pay for it ourselves. Candidates have to lobby within the party. And anybody can join the party. We had a commercial earlier. Go to lppa.org, join the Libertarian Party of Pennsylvania, and you can come in and say, hey, let's get somebody in here who's going to have closed elections. Persecute the opposition bill supporters. And then see if you're going to get supported. We, all of our party bo bosses, we have, what, almost 50,000 people in the Libertarian Party. That's almost 50,000 party bosses. Good grief. <laughs> we need a governor who would veto bills like that. Use a line item veto to defund those primaries and just end them, end them completely. Put it back, put the emphasis back on Harris, on, excuse me, on November where it belongs so we can choose our candidates en masse, not at some taxpayer funded boondoggle once, it, once every spring. And you know what the funny thing is, most people don't even know what the primary election is. I stood out there a lot collecting signatures to get on the ballot, and people and I hear people asking questions. What are we voting for? Why are we voting? We're just going to be back here in November. They don't even know what they're doing. And turnout's typically very, very low. Yes. And that's when these Congress critters or local state legislators will sneak constitutional amendments through because I suspect <laughs> they know that, hey, we're going to have a lot fewer people out there in March or whatever it is than we'll have out there in November. You are absolutely correct. Even though our Constitution says that the only way they can do those is not in a municipal election, not in a primary. It has to be in a general election. You keep going back to that Constitution, Ken. Uh, it's, you know, I quote from it like a Jehovah's Witness quotes from the Bible, and I have relatives who are Jehovah's Witnesses who tell me that. <laughs> I see we're running low on time here, so this is probably going to just wrap it up for Episode 5 of the Pennsylvania Project. It has been fun. It's always fun. It's one of the reasons why we keep doing this. But we want you to be part of the fun. So if you have something to say, we'd love to hear from you. Contact us at PennsylvaniaProject.com. There's a nice little form that you could put together there and let us know what you're thinking. And we'll address your questions on the air, and I'll try and be a little less verbose next time so we can get to Joe's third question. We'll start with Joe's third question next time. So that'll do it. Today's episode is brought to you courtesy of Amendment 16 Limited, recorded live at the studios of WWDB Radio, broadcasting at 860 AM in Philadelphia, and podcast at PennsylvaniaProject.com. Our technical producer today is Paul Nicotera. Featured Toastmaster narrator is distinguished Toastmaster Art Farnsworth. Webmaster Stephen Worley. Marketing guru Connor DeGrotis. Sorry, DeGrotis. Keyboard wizard in the background here, Joe the Pag. Executive producer Mark Bazzacco. And me, your caster, Ken Krawchuk. Thanks for joining us. And remember, more important than solving the problem correctly is to solve the correct problem.